This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Richie Ote. What's up, babies? Hello, Steve. Hi, Mary. Boy, we hold it down in the studio yonder, and uh, Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters, and we are hanging out with you here today, live on this Thursday, and we do broadcast every Thursday at uh, noon Pacific, and you can join in the fun, check out what we're up to, and uh, even join in the conversation. All those details are at reinventionradio.com, and uh, of course, we'd love to have you as a part of that conversation, so much uh, fun stuff, interesting stuff going on in the world, and uh, and I got to tell you, you know, I was thinking about this actually on the way over here today, and like my my uh, my little man, my eleven uh, year old Xavier, uh, is off on a road trip with his grandmother. Okay. So they left today, and took him to the airport, picked up the rental car, and. Um, Put them in the car and then send them off on their way. And so your mom came here? So mom came here and she's taking the kid. And they're going to go on a little California thing, just kind of driving the coast and up to San Francisco and so on. And um, and then I was I was thinking, like, you know, it's interesting. And, and Richie, I could, like, I could see the tears already starting to flow on this one, right? So, <laughs> um, so both boys graduated yesterday. Uh, that's why Grandma was in. Okay. And because uh, Xavier graduated fifth grade, uh, and Isaiah graduated uh, eighth grade. You graduate from fifth nowadays? Well, the promotion, as they will. Well, we so don't. Stupid. So at our so in our school <laughs> system, in the San Diego public school system, uh, you have a separate school for sixth through eighth grade middle school. Yeah, middle school. Right. So sometimes I know there's uh, like in Chicago there were schools that go from K through eight. Um, and maybe in some of the school, are your girls in K through eight schools or where are, um, they were in K through eight yeah. and then, so we're in Minnesota, you would have junior high is what mm-hmm. was called seventh, mm-hmm. eighth and ninth. Oh, seventh, eighth and ninth. Okay. And then high school was 10, 11, 12. Okay. We yeah. ha- we had that here. I was in the one of those seventh, eighth, ninth, and then they changed it when I was in the ninth grade. So I was like, yes, I never had to be a freshman. They, never. The, the eighth graders followed me. I was like, ah. never a freshman. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, so they they have the promotion ceremony and okay. like it was, man, I tell you, Jesus, that's that's that. Man, you just get the faucets going in there, you know, seeing them little, them little people becoming bigger people and just knowing like, okay, they're never going to be in that school again, right? So it's just oh, like, yeah. man. And anyway, um, so so sending the uh, little man off with grandma on sort of a, a post promotion little trip gift, if you will, for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is super sweet, and um, and I just got to thinking, like, you know, what's what's he going to be like when he grows up? You know, like I, I kept going through that in my mind. You know, like he is this little man now, right? And and then I got I caught myself thinking, like, what's he going to be like when he grows up? And then I had a, and then I had to take a step back, and it's like. Why are we even thinking like what's he going to be when he grows up? What is he right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And it was just it was just one of those moments where it was like, you know, he's a pretty. I mean, he's got his. You know, look, he's a 
boy, he's 11. I mean, he's going to have, he's going to challenge us in his own ways. I mean, no different than our 14 year old, but it was like one of those present moment kind of things, man, where I was just like, geez, you know, and, and our, our guest on today, Lisa is going to be talking about reinventing living fearlessly. And, you know, and, and a lot of that to me kind of speaks to doing something based on the future, or maybe it is totally based on the present, but it just, I, I found myself st- taking trying to, taking a step back and just saying, like, you know, he is exactly who he is supposed to be right now, and I need to stop thinking about, you know, what's he going to be like after high school, what's he going to be like after college, and just really kind of sink into... These years are going to go fast. Right? Yeah, and, and yeah. to your statement there, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. You can look into your future, but you got to be something now and you really are now right if you're yeah. too far in the future you're not experiencing now if you're too far in the past you're not experiencing now but yeah. hey congrats by the way that means you're starting to learn how to celebrate the little wins it sounds like <laughs> yeah yeah right uh, and and so just e- even looking at the kids right and knowing what their future can be and knowing how much life there is in front of them it was uh it was just, it was really interesting to see so many of the photos, which of course, you know, get the faucets going on that. You know, you see all the photos on the, it's just like, but they're just living fearlessly, right? And they just, yes, Wade, you're. Yeah, well, and I was just thinking, uh, we're going to have to chat because uh, my 12 year old stepson, I need some uh, input from you regarding. Um, but to take that lesson, you know, just kind of the broader, um, rather to help us overcome the inclination for worry and fear you know, getting into Lisa's subject, to, and to take the lesson from your experience, embrace the positive and success of the moment mm-hmm. and let the assurance that you have achieved that positive, positivity and success of the moment uh, take the place of the worry and fear going in the future. Yep. You've succeeded now. There's nothing to worry about is yep. kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's... Um and and I will say it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge for me uh, on a, on the daily. You know, really to 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 settle into the present moment. I mean it, that that is that that is a challenge for me. I'll be I'll be the first to admit. I'm always thinking about what's next and where I want to go and what I don't have and where I you know like have I done enough and I have those conversations on the daily. So I just I. Knowing what we're going to be talking about today here with Lisa uh, and just the whole idea around living fearlessly and what that what that even means and as it relates to, well, us as grownups and then even to our kids just seeing what they're like. I, I just – yesterday was such uh, – um, it was an interesting moment in time to really step back and just really start to try to appreciate the kids for for who they are right now as opposed to trying to make them into something that I might want them to be or trying to envision what they will be. You know, it was just... How does Lena look at it? Does she just... Oh, she's got no... She's like... She is <laughs> She is so immune to everything at this point. It's like... <laughs> she. She's definitely an emotional person, but I'm a much more emotional person than she is. That's funny. It is funny, but I mean, uh, it's... They come in living fearlessly. They right? basically... Loud noises and falling are like the two fears kids have. And I mean, we're all parents. I'm behind you guys as far as age, but... Yeah. Or age of kids. Age of kids. Um, but 
they come in. It's kind of like they learn fear. So yeah. I'd be, I'm looking yeah. forward to. So let's let's bring Lisa on actually, and uh, and Lisa. Uh, so we've got Lisa McDonald joining us today, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today, Lisa. Let, let, what's your take? Do you have kids, Lisa? Good afternoon, friends. I want to say thank you very much for welcoming me onto your program. This is such an honor, Steve. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, to answer your question, I do have two children, and and I'm raising them as a single parent. So my son. Uh, will be nine in September, and mm. my daughter, who's 18 months younger, is eight. Mm-hmm. So currently nine and eight. I yeah. may as well be having twins. Right. <laughs> and so, yikes. Uh, and in terms of your work around helping people to, well, live fearlessly, and yeah, I know you work with business owners and so on and so forth. It's not just um, the individuals, but what uh, what's your take on as, well, first of all, how do you define living fearlessly? Why don't we just start with that? Okay. Well, living fearlessly for me is a culmination of many things. It's not something that I think can be narrowed down or pinpointed into one thing. It's certainly a culmination of things. So for me, that would encapsulate, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. It means getting out of your own way. It means taking risks. It means respecting and honoring your intuition. So even if you have heart palpitations because the thought of something seems exciting or it seems inviting, uh, but you have that moment of, oh, I don't know if I should do this. This is un- unfamiliar territory. I've never done this before. What makes me think that I could actually, uh, you know, be able to accomplish this or that I have the right or the audacity to even step into it? That's when I step into it. And sometimes in my case, a lot of things uh, that were unforeseen circumstance-wise necessitated me having to live fearlessly. It was really not a choice. Um, And as somebody who's been on my own since 16, uh, somebody who's been financially self-sufficient, somebody who's gone through major adversity in my life at different junctures, different ages, um, it's actually become a muscle that I've honed. Uh, and I just continue to do all the right things, align with the right people, believe in myself. And all I have to do is look back on the trajectory of my journey from past to present and just go, you know what, Lisa, you've experienced that feeling of trepidation, uncertainty, uh, self-doubt before, and you always land on your feet. It's a non-negotiable. You've landed on your feet, and here you are. You're continuing to do different things, and you're doing it for the betterment of other people. It's not just about me. Yeah. So, Lisa, this is Mary. Um, hi, Mary. Hi. So through the adversity, how did you – did you consciously make the choice to steal thyself and push through it? Or did you have any of those moments where you were kind of imploding emotionally like, oh, my gosh, this is so much to deal with? Or were you always so resilient that you just kept going? Well, you know, to answer your question, honestly, it, it's been both. Um, you know, I've always had this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, like Teflon inside inner strength. I mean, when you look at some of the things that in succession have happened over the course of my life, any one of them could have, and we know statistically to be true, you know, we know that people would have imploded. Uh, we know that that would have done someone in. It would have perhaps uh, catapulted them into a major depression. Um, I mean, yeah, I've had difficult times. I've had moments where I've certainly not been operating at my highest vibrational level. Uh, but for things that I, I said were more important to me, whether it be goals, objectives, outcomes, 
and I'm a very results-oriented person, again, some of it having been necessitated by, I have to do this. You know, I've got nobody else to count on. If I want to go to school and make something of myself and get out of the path that I'm currently on, where I'm making bad decisions, I'm in the wrong peer group, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then I'm going to have to flip the bill for this. I don't know how I'm necessarily going to do that, but if there's a will, there's a way. So, yeah, I mean, nothing that I've ever endeavored to do has been an overnight so-called success. Uh, but I know if you continually do the right things, if you align with the right people, if you fundamentally believe in yourself, you will eventually catch up to whatever it is you visualize, manifest, and put out there and see it as a done deal. So I just have to catch up in present time. And for the things that were previously identified as uh, one of my goals or something that was written down on my to-do list, in some cases it took a year, some cases it took two years, in some cases it took five years. But I ultimately because it was important enough to me, because I identified it and declared it uh, and proclaimed it as a non-negotiable, it did in fact come to fruition. And not just by wishing it, but coupled with massive action every single day. Yeah, well, so take us back. I, I, I don't want to just gloss over this because there are people who don't know your yeah. story and what qualifies you to teach people how to live fearlessly. So I need to go back to this from this. Uh, take us back to the 16-year-old Lisa. What 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 happened when you were 16 that put you out uh, on your own? Oh, it started at four. <laughs> okay. So I mean, yeah, it started at four. So you know, I'm, I'm an open book. My first adult nonfiction book is uh, scheduled for release in October. So this is you know, it's a very raw. Um, you know, all on my sleeve, all out, full throttle book. So I'm an incest survivor. This all started when I was four with my step-grandfather, my maternal grandfather. Uh, went on for a series of years. Um, there was many things that were dysfunctional about my family that, unfortunately, I didn't have a good infrastructure of support. Uh, at the time of disclosure, my parents were going through uh, a dissolved marriage themselves. Um, so everybody was kind of in a fight-or-flight mode. Everybody was spending for themselves. Of course, finances were an issue because people had to lawyer up. Um, so I kind of got glossed over. And then years later, unbeknownst to me, knowing it for a fact at the time, but certainly intuitively having suspected it, and there was a few things that kind of thought, okay, Lisa, come back to this later. Don't ignore this. Um, I was knowingly allowed to be abused. Um, my mom knew what he was all about, that being her stepfather, because it had happened to various members within the family. Um, and I guess there was this resignation, disbelief, denial, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, because he was undergoing psychiatric therapy, that he therefore was cured and, you know, the assurance of every time I was still allowed to be in the room with him or I was allowed to be put to bed by him or I was allowed to go on outings with him. Uh, it was always, you know, he's cured, Lisa. He's okay. We've forgiven him. Therefore, you know, I must then forgive him. And, of course, you know, he was what he was, and it continued. And finally I got to a point where I was empowered, and I was able to make my own decisions. And as a result of a lot of things, unfortunately, having happened in my family, I just got the hell out. And, um, and again, because I didn't have a great infrastructure of support, I was making poor decisions, got kicked out of high school, uh, sometimes quit before I officially got, I mean, it was just, it was a gong show. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately for me, my saving grace was uh, when I finally decided to go back to high school, I knew that I was worth more. I had much more to offer. Um, of course, wasn't graduating with my age group of who I should have graduated with because I took a bit of a hiatus 
So hold on, I just want to just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So you, so uh, four years old, it started. You you told people you were threatened. You didn't tell people. I mean, they knew what was going on. Did you tell outside people? Like what? What was going on? And and obviously, when you're four, it's one thing. But when you're ten or twelve or whatever it is, as you get a little bit older, and you begin to gain a little bit more of a voice, what what was what was going on? So when, so when I finally disclosed, nobody had been uh, made privy. I had not disclosed. I had not shared. I think my behavior, looking back on it, especially as somebody who worked in social services, I mean, there's much more that can tell the story and the tale of what's going on for someone than words alone. Uh, my body language completely would have been indicative of that. However, uh, I finally made a disclosure when I was old enough, and I think at that point, Oh, I think I was probably about 12 or 13, but this was also the same summer that my parents were going to be announcing to her stepfather and her mom, the stepfather being the perpetrator, uh, that they were about to uh, separate and with the intention of divorcing. Um, so my disclosure came out when everybody else was in perceivable crisis, when everybody else's coping abilities were struggling and challenged. And... Um, so, and they were from England, uh, so this was something that went on back and forth. We would rotate when we went to Britain during summer holidays. They would then come to Canada. So this was, and it was generally summertime, so this was something that I had to deal with. Um, but finally it got to a point where it just, it, it, it came out. And, it, and the, the funny thing, Steve, was it wasn't even a full disclosure. Um, the last incident of having been abused was on my mom's birthday. Uh, we were celebrating at a friend's house. He and I were situated at the table together. There was a long tablecloth, and his hand was in, uh, you know, his hand was where it shouldn't have been throughout the course of my mom's birthday dinner. And so I had pinched him. He spilt a glass of wine. Uh, Nobody suspected anything. They topped up his wife, uh, wine, replenished his wine. And by the time the gathering was over at my mom's friend's house, I went home. I went straight up to my room. I was on my bed. I was looking up at the ceiling, and I was quite withdrawn. And finally, I guess I'd been away from everybody long enough that my mom thought that there was something wrong. She came to check up on me, and she went through the whole laundry list of thinking, you know, like, I know something's wrong, Lisa. What is it? I didn't voluntarily tell her, but she went through everything else. Did I do something? Did your brother do something? Did your dad annoy you? Like, what what happened? And then she finally took it upon herself, and she said, did he do something to you? Mm -hmm. And I looked at her in that moment, and I thought, okay, she knows. And then later, I pieced it together and and verified it with my grandmother, who was uh, his wife, my mom's mom. And she apologized, and she said, yes, I knew what he was. and I'm sorry I didn't protect you. Your mom knew what he was. I'm sorry your mom did not protect you. So it all came out. Um, but that, yeah, so it, that that was kind of disclosure, but it was more my mom using that as an opportunity to say, could that possibly be what's wrong with you? So she knew. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, that was around you 12, 13. So what what was finally the breaking point where you left and then knowing that you didn't have any sort of support system. I mean, obviously, you couldn't turn to your family. They they couldn't be trusted. They didn't right. have your best interest in mind. Well, what did you What did you actually do? How did you survive? So take us to the breaking point, and then how sure. did you survive? 
Well, so essentially because the disclosure was on the heels of my parents' uh, marriage having dissolved, um, when my dad had left the house, and I want to say perfectly clear, my dad did not know anything about this. My mom had never shared with my dad that through her own upbringing that this was part and parcel of the family and the family secrets. This was something she and my grandmother knew and other members of the family knew, but however, however it became possible, this was not something that my dad knew. And there were actions that my dad did take uh, that substantiated how in shock he was. Um, so when this incident of abuse had happened, even though it was the same summer and it was my mom's birthday and it was the same summer that my parents were announcing that they were splitting, um, once it came out, because my mom did talk about it with my dad, uh, he immediately had him put uh, on a plane the very next day and gave my grandmother the option to either stay or to join him because, of course, at that point, my dad was not in the know that both my mom and my grandmother had known what he was about all this time. Mm. Um, everybody was acting like this was a shock. My dad was the only one who was genuinely shocked, uh, and he was the only one who actually, in fact, dealt with it. So anyway, um, so when my dad had exited the family home, um, you know, my mom had uh, stepped into becoming a single parent herself, which I now am, and uh she was not handling it very well, uh, and I can now appreciate putting all the other circumstances aside, and I've certainly worked through my own healing journey, etc. Um, I don't harbor any resentments because it really did catapult me into where I am today, which I think is serving people quite well. So I, um, she was not doing very well. Uh, she was very emotionally absent for myself and my brother. Uh, was really having a hard time juggling everything. Um, everything was kind of explosive in the family. And so I got kicked out of the house. I had, my mom and I had a bit of a flare-up. It was around curfew. I ended up coming back earlier than I was supposed to. Um, but something, I, anyway, it doesn't really matter. I ended up getting kicked out of the house. Um, she locked all my personal belongings in the garage with a padlock. Um, my dad then got involved. My dad was not long after um, being separated and officially divorced from my mom, was then remarried. Um, I was too young at that point to officially be on my own. So for a short period of time, I lived with my dad and um, my then stepmother. And um, things just kind of broke down. Again, this was during the time of me not making good decisions. Um, my dad had kind of reinvented his own life. And I, you know, she was very good. She's managed to my children. Um, she's kind of been the backbone of my family. And I'm very grateful to her for what she's brought to me and my children throughout the years, uh, in spite of other family dynamics. Um, but things at that particular time kind of were going off the rails as a result of my brother then being kicked out of the house. My mom then got remarried, left to the state. Um, so we got kicked out of the house. She went to reinvent her life in the states. Right, but where uh, where did you specifically go when you got kicked out? Like, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to picture yeah, what that yeah. what that looked like sure. for you and so how you for, survived. Yeah. So for an interim period of time, I did reside with my dad and his second wife. When that fell apart, I then stayed with a girlfriend whose dad was a teacher at the high school I had relocated to in a, in a different city. Um, but because I was not doing very well um, with attendance, and of course that didn't bode well because he was a teacher and he was trying to do well by me and do well by his daughter and supporting me, who I was one of her closest friends, 
um, they were kind enough to give me a talk and give me a bit of an ultimatum. Like, you know, I, I'm a teacher at the school. You can't be living with me and cutting classes. Like, this doesn't look good. And this, is, of course, does get back to me by the office. Um, so I had every intention of maintaining that. And then I didn't. Uh, completely my fault. I take responsibility for a lot of those poor decisions I made back then. Uh, what I really needed was counseling, did not get counseling. And uh, so anyway, I ended up getting my own apartment when I was 16. I had quit high school at that point, and I was working uh, minimum wage part-time jobs enough so that I could afford to pay the rent. And uh, that's what I did. And then it just went from having one apartment to another apartment. And then finally, I got my act together. And that's when I went back to the original high school that uh, I departed from. And I graduated, again, not with my, my supposed to have been graduating class. And um, then I came upon, this was, a, you know, this was a lifesaver for me, but I didn't really understand what my options were post-high school or even in my last year of high school before officially graduating. And so I sat down with a guidance counselor and we talked a little bit about doing co-op placements. And so that fortunately led me to a co-op placement uh, at the CNIB, which is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And I ended up doing a placement in the social work department, which then turned into a, a part-time uh, summer job. And then I started doing applications to college because that's all I could afford at the time. University came much later. And I got accepted to all three choices of what I had applied for. Um, but I was also, again, paying my own rent. Uh, mm -hmm. I knew I'd have to pay for tuition. I knew I'd have to pay for books. Um, and in addition to that, I was in desperate need of orthodontics. And so that was one of the things that was on the schedule to have taken place at the same time that my parents' uh, marriage fell apart and the monies needed to go towards lawyers, etc. Um, so I much later got on a payment plan with an orthodontist. So I was paying for all these necessities that most parents would have kicked in for uh, on top of paying for my own rent and, you know, just basic needs, food, etc. And so, yeah, so I, I graduated from high school, or sorry, I graduated from high school, graduated from college, and then I started climbing the ladder in social services, the, one of the, the last health positions I had. This was my former vocation before becoming a serial solopreneur, um, was I was a director of women's shelters, so women and children fleeing domestic violence. I oversaw the two largest shelters in Edmonton when I lived out west. Mm. Um, but I had worked with various populations of people, pretty much every demographic, including kids in group homes, foster homes, residential care, uh, specialized classroom settings, uh, the blind, special needs, every form of disability you can think of. Um, again, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the oppressed, the abused. Um, so really scaled uh, quickly within that vocation. So I was always immersed in the world of personal development and personal growth long before it became so-called trendy um, because, of course, for what I needed to do to provide service for my clients, I needed to be very aware of different things, whether it had to do with addictions, whether it had to do with cyclical patterns, whether it had to do with statistics, uh, whether it had to do with outreach, um, advocacy, self-empowerment, etc. So I was always immersed in the world of empowering people to empower themselves. And then due to my own circumstances of my marriage falling apart and it becoming clear that once my kids were both full-time school-aged, uh, the lawyer's expectation uh, was, you know, you need to go to work uh, to obtain somewhat of an income, even if it's part-time and even if it's making a minimum wage. And I knew for everything that I had invested into my growth, 
uh, personal and professional and otherwise, uh, there was no way I was going to do that. So I got very clear on my transferable skills, had always written, had always gravitated towards English, um, was accepted for a couple of masterminds in California with some New York Times bestselling authors, uh, became a licensed certified passion test facilitator. Uh, there's about 2,000 of us approximately in the world, very huge in the Asian market. Yeah. And so I came back, I started doing some consulting, and I started building up my client roster list. Then I got sought out for radio, global radio. started out with one network, then it expanded to two networks. Uh, so I'm with the Contact Talk Radio Network, C-Suite Radio Network. i uh, been blogging for Ariana Huffington, uh, her site Thrive Global. Uh, and things have just gone like gangbusters. I've pumped out four children's books. I've been in uh, many compilation books with international best-selling authors. And now, like I mentioned, um, my first adult nonfiction book is scheduled for release in October. And I've spoken at Harvard. I speak wherever. Um, I, you know, I just love my life. And yeah. so living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, it's not specific to me. Um, it's, it's a generic message that I think is of value and impacts everyone because I think the common denominator for what keeps people stuck or sitting on the fence or living a life of complacency and mediocrity is fear. Um, so I'm, I'm here to uplift people to fear less and to live more. That's my purpose, and I'm very clear on it. So what about if somebody is feeling uncomfortable living their true purpose, sole purpose, that they might be laughed at, judged, um, ridiculed? Yeah. What do you suggest for someone who can be frozen in a state of fear around that? Well, that's common. You know, I, you know, when I'm interfacing with somebody, whether it be for an initial consultation, whether it be something that in conjunction with my uh, radio guest of each week, this comes up all the time. It's come up for my previous guests who are deemed a success. It's come up for me. It's come up for my clients. Um, you know, it's really what I've had to do for myself, so I can only impart with any level of authenticity and integrity what has essentially worked for me. And uh, clearly what works for me is not necessarily what works for everyone, but I'm always about sharing the wealth uh, because there is the, the strong prospect that what has worked for me will, in fact, work for someone else. So I don't believe in hoarding that information. I want everyone to win. I want everyone to be successful. Uh, so when that happens, I talk, you know, we talk about, and again, this isn't unique to me, um, people within this industry of personal development, you know, it's going to sound in some regards quite redundant, but it's very true. So it's really about deconstructing uh, some of the, 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 the false concepts and the false beliefs that tend to keep people stuck. It's reprogramming. Uh, it's really, you know, getting the subconscious aligned with the conscious so that you're living congruently in all facets, whether you're mindful of it or not, in terms of truly aspiring to be on the trajectory of where it is you say you want to go. So I've had to do a lot of inventory over the years. Uh, you know, who's toxic, who's not? Who's here through the good and the bad, who's not? Um, it's not that I'm looking for cheerleaders. I'm looking for real people. I'm looking for real supporters. I'm, look I'm also looking at who is successful in their life. Who's done what I've done and has done it extremely well that these are the people I then need to mentor, uh, get mentored and, and coached by and align myself with. So, you know, it's what are you listening to? You know, I don't listen to the news. I'm very cognizant of what's going on in the world. I, you know, I'm a very intelligent woman. I'm very clear on what's happening in the world. But I'm not one of these people who's going to include that 
as a portion of my day where I'm just listening to the same stuff over and over again and everything's a heightened alert and, you know, climate change and Donald Trump. And I mean, I know what's going on in the world, but I also know that what you put your attention on grows stronger. And so that can work for the positive as well as conversely, it can work for the negative. So I really talk to people, people I'm interfacing with, whether again, it be a consultation, whether it be just, you know, an interest, whether it be whatever. And I will, I, I will ask them, like, tell me a typical day. Like, what kinds of things are you gravitating towards energetically? Uh, who do you consider to be your mentors? Uh, why? Like, what is the core ingredients of why that person would earn the right to be a so-called mentor for you? Um, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of who this person gravitates towards and why. Uh, and not necessarily knowing to what degree that that might be counterintuitive or it might be intuitive. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you grew up understanding to be so-called truth. You know, let's talk about some of the experiences that have shaped and molded you and perhaps maybe even scarred you in school, teachers. You know, what kinds of things have lingered and left a, an imprint on your soul where no matter how well you've done at something or how successful you've so-called been at something, you still default to the one thing or the, the culmination of many things where you were believed that you weren't deserving enough, you weren't good enough, you weren't worthy enough, and therefore you bought into it and you decided to play small in your life rather than go, no, I don't need to believe that, I don't need to buy into that, and I certainly don't need to surround myself with the people who are part of that messaging, whether they be family, friends, or whatnot. So that's what I do. I, I get really clear with the people who have this um, challenge in their life because you can't change what you don't identify. You can't change or improve what you don't recognize. And in some cases, you can't change or improve upon what you're not even consciously aware of. Um, so th th that would be my strategy. That has been my strategy. Um, and, you know, the feedback that I've received from people who are, in fact, committed uh, every single day to taking massive action and to going deep within and working on themselves, um, you know, they've seen the transformation within them. Um, you know, I don't take credit for that. They'll give me credit for that, which I'm grateful for. But I give it back to them because mm -hmm. they were committed to doing the work. Yeah. So... As you then look at, uh, I mean, given where your, your kids are now and given what mm -hmm. you went through at that particular age, I'm sure you're, like, uh, unbelievably sensitive to to where they are in their life, given where, you know, what your life was like at that age. So how, how do you, it must be a real struggle for you to help them to live fearlessly without being like crazy overprotective, which is going to, of course, then uh, completely defeat what you're all about. So like, how do you reconcile? How do you balance the two with giving them the freedom to be their own little people? But I mean, you've got to be mm -hmm. a helicopter parent of some sort at this uh, at this juncture, just given what you've experienced. Very good question. And I'll be honest, I have vacillated back and forth between that, but I'm always cognizant of when I fall into that category of being perceivably a micromanager or kind of overstepping and maybe trotting upon that free will spirit that I want my kids 
to continually operate within because we know as we get older, life can, you know, make you feel more jaded. Life can make you feel pessimistic. Life can make you feel a whole bunch of things, which takes you out of that childlike spirit. And so going back to my children's books, um, I've, I preface in all of my books, you know, reclaim your inner child, uh, re-embrace your inner child, rediscover your inner child. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I truly believe that wholeheartedly. So I certainly do try to consistently walk my talk in my own home as a parent with my own two children, um, who, of course, are very impressionable. Uh, they do look to me as being the role model. Um, now, a couple of different things that I'll say to that is in the aspect of when they get to an age where they go, okay, this is what I want to endeavor to do in my life, whether it be becoming an entrepreneur themselves, whether it be uh, being a tradesperson, whether it be post-secondary education, doesn't matter to me. My kids will always know based on my decisions of where I am today and being at the age where they can understand what mommy's doing today. Um, I only want my children to be happy. I know so many doctors and so many lawyers and so many people who have these prestigious positions but they're so miserable. And that's not to say that everybody who's a lawyer or an engineer or et cetera, et cetera, falls in, instantaneously into the category of being unhappy regardless mm -hmm. of their success. Um, I want my, what I want for my children, and it's what Byron Katie says, I want for you what you want for you. I love Byron Katie, the work of Byron Katie. It's all about mirroring and it's all about taking responsibility for your own stuff. So when my children see what it is that I do for a living, when they get, you know, they can conceptualize some of it. Some of it they don't quite necessarily get, but they know I'm different than their daddy. I don't go to a, a regular office. I don't have the standard two weeks vacation every year. Um, you know, it's a little bit different. What daddy does as an engineer is a little bit different than what mommy does as, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So when but my how do you, kids get to the... How do you balance that then? I mean, just, I'm, I'm, again, I understand, yeah. and I want to ask the question around that, that statement from Byron Katie, but, but uh, as I look at you, just kids in general and knowing sure. how much freedom that they need in order to be able to discover what it is that they actually want for themselves, yeah. right. uh, again, okay, so how are you doing example. that specifically? Yeah. I'll give you a recent example. So this was something that I struggled with as a mom. Um, you know, and there's two things I'll say, you know, again, people would assume for what's happened in my life that, you know, I would have issues of thinking everybody's potentially a perpetrator, particularly being a mom. I'm going to assume that people are going to interfere with my children. I'll be honest with you. I'm very fortunate that I have a healthy sense of that. Mm -hmm. I look at everybody starts off with a clean slate where you go in terms of you go up in my books of respect, that's entirely up to you, as well as if you go down, because I will consistently always treat you with respect, not flawless, I make mistakes, and I always own my mistakes. Um, but in terms of other people proving who it is they claim to be, that's up to them, the barometer of where they go up and down or completely off the radar altogether. Um, so I'm very fortunate that in spite of what happened to me, I don't look upon, you know, for things that we hear about the news about coaches and teachers and people who have access to children. I don't make the presumption that anybody who has access to my children or has an affinity for children or has a calling for what children would gravitate towards. I don't look upon them with suspicion. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that I'm naive. Uh, I really strongly, intuitively 
believe in what it is, you know, call it by these senses, call it whatever. I trust what goes on inside for me, good and bad. Um, I use that as a little bit of an indicator and a barometer to go, okay, how much more exploration do I have to do into looking into this? And what is it founded on? Is this is this my own stuff? Is this a trigger? Or is this me being as objective and as neutral as I possibly can to give somebody else the benefit of the doubt? So I always check myself. I'm not about you know, pointing the finger and passing blame. I'm really about checking my own actions and reactions to things and my responses and, and questioning where does, what is, where does this derive from, Lisa? Mm-hmm. Really, what does this derive out of? So a recent example for my kids that was a bit of a challenge for me as a parent, which I think would be regardless of my background of what I've shared with you and your listeners here, Steve, uh, although I can never say that for 100% with any certainty for sure. Um, so my children, like I mentioned, nine and eight, uh, we're around the corner from the school. It's probably a two minute drive. Um, they had said to me two weeks ago now, they, they said, can we walk home? And I'm like, Oh, you know, like I just, I didn't know where to go with that because it's a busy street. It's a direct route. It's one main street. They take a left, they take another left and they're like on our road. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, Lisa, you know, like think about where you were only, you know, 10 years after what their age is and some of the positions that you were put in. You don't want to shield your kids. You know, you've got to allow them to explore, you know. Um, so I struggled with that, and I struggled with that, too, because I was a bit raw having received news. Um, not going to mention names, but it's a family I know, um, and I had worked on projects with them. Their three-year-old child had just recently died. Um, made public news and everything like that. And mm-hmm. so I, I was, you know, and to be honest with you, the new, and I'd met this family, I'd worked with this family, and anytime we had meetings, their child was part of the the meetings. Um, so I'd helped that child. I had played with that child, and I had gifted that family with my children's books. So I was utterly gutted and devastated. And so that has to be the worst possible loss uh, that anybody could perceivably imagine. So you think of that family and the hell that they're going through, I think of my children and I think of how quickly for all the experiences I've been working in crisis management, seeing people's lives turned upside down, unforeseen circumstances, and for my own life, things happening at the hands of the people who are blood and are supposed to be there to protect you. You know, I've seen a lot of stuff in my life. And so I, I, you know, and then for that incident to have occurred and then being requested by my children to allow them the independence to walk home. Mm-hmm. I struggled with that, but I said yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I have to, and these things are going to continually crop up. I mean, it's going to go from, can I walk on my own to, can I go to so-and-so's house for sure. a sleepover? Sure. To, can I have the keys to the car? Um, I, and I just got to deal with that. And I've got to do it in a way that's not punishing my children or, you know, um, hijacking their childhood or uh, their teenagehood or their adulthood once they embark upon that stage in their journey. You know, I gotta, they, they have a right to discover things on their own without, you know, my issues cropping up and encroaching upon that and them feeling like they're being held hostage. Mm-hmm. So a uh, couple things. Let me just, sure. let me just ask you this. So first and foremost, the, the whole conversation around, you know, Byron Katie's teachings, and some of it are brilliant. Some of it I, I have issue with. Actually, one of the things that you mentioned is one of the yes, teachings sir. that I don't. 
I don't quite agree with from the standpoint of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so how do you reconcile in terms of living fearlessly and helping your clients and what mm, advice you would have for, for our listeners in terms of you know, that whole notion of, uh, of I want for you what you want for you when people don't, if you haven't been exposed to enough things, you couldn't possibly know what those, even those possibilities are for yourself. So you couldn't know what you want for yourself if you've never even given, if you've never been even given the, give, been given the opportunity to see what that is. True. So how do you help people reconcile uh, around that in terms of, you know, giving them the freedom, especially like your children, as you said, but I mean, just in general, when you're working with clients, mm-hmm. how do you give them that freedom to make that decision for themselves when, when most people just actually want to be told what to do? Right. How sad is that? It's true, though. Um, It's true, but it's so sad because it's so limiting and it's just so you know one-dimensional. Not necessarily. You could you could you could have a better person. Like I mean, like I know Mary and Rich like super well. We've been in Wade, and so I mean, like Callie, when we've been together now for years, and like I mean, I think I've got a pretty good sense of what would be good for them. Right. That they may not even have for themselves. You know what I mean? So, how do you reconcile the two? Yeah, no, I get that. So when you say it, when you preface it like that, I totally get where you're coming from. Because, yeah, you know, we can bring insights and suggestions and recommendations to the table, uh, knowing what might be aligned for somebody or might what might be advantageous, unbeknownst to them, even recognizing that within themselves or for themselves. From that perspective of how you phrased it, I absolutely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some people who need to be spoon-fed throughout their life to function because, God forbid, they make an, uh, you know, a judgment call and it be the wrong decision, you know, and then all of a sudden they're, they're worried about, well, how will I be judged or, you know, I'll be mocked or people will think I was off my rocker to even contemplate that this was something I should endeavor to do or to take a risk on or, or there are people who are scared. I mean, there's a lot of marriages that function like that where you've got one predominant partner uh, you know, and a lot of it's cultural too, where it's like, no, you, sh- you know, you shut up or put up, like mm-hmm. it's that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And I see that with a lot of people, you know, if I don't go to school and do what the expectation is of what my parents think I should do, uh, then I'm not reaching my potential. I'm going to fail. I'm a, I'm a flop. I'm a failure. It doesn't matter if I'm happy. People don't look at happiness as being the end all be all or the ultimate goal for what's important or significant in life because how many people have really forced the envelope with go do that go take x amount of years of school marry this person you know you'll be set with this person they're doing quite well they're gonna you know you can stay home you can raise your kids you don't even have to ever work i mean i I just don't subscribe to that i i I think it's a cop-out um I, i think it's sad i think it's debilitating um that's you know that sounds super judgmental perhaps there is a level of judgmentalness attached to that because i just don't understand that um it's not to say that i you know i can play devil's advocate to a lot of different things to appreciate other people's perspectives or where they're at in life but i don't subscribe to that Mm -hmm. um so it's you know to answer your question steve that's where part of my training comes into play as far as being a licensed certified passion test facilitator. Some people have never had anybody sit down with them and ask them the things that get them jazzed up. You know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, what are you pissed off at today? Or, you know, can you believe what happened in the news? Or can you believe so-and-so did that to their husband or their wife? Or, you know, I focus on the yummy stuff. 
I focus on the yummy stuff and it's a very safe environment. It's a very fulfilling conversation to sit down and say, okay, you know, these may be things that you've never considered or contemplated. Um, maybe you've never felt that you had the right uh, or weren't entitled to have these kinds of thoughts because it meant maybe perceivably being selfish for you to do what makes you happy. Um, but this is the space we're going to operate in. So yeah. let's get very clear on what it is you could see yourself doing that would make you super elated every single day. That would yep. make you feel on fire, uh, purpose-driven, passion-filled, whatever the case may be. So a lot of what I've learned as a passion test facilitator gets incorporated into that. Plus, I'm honoring myself with what it is I do every day, uh, with what I'm passionate about and what fulfills my purpose and very, being very clear on what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. So knowing that that's how I live my life and that's my DNA um, that's very much fuels the direction of the kinds of conversations I have with people. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear you. And, uh, and I've known Janet, uh, Brayawood for a number of years yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the whole, you know, if you couldn't do this, but you can only do that kind of thing, uh, yeah. approach. And, and it's interesting. I mean, I, what I have found is, um, there, there's a lot of merit, of course, to the passion test, and I love the work that Janet is doing. I, uh, I wish at some point she would give credit to Kurt Lewin and his approach, approach theory of conflict, but that's a whole other discussion for another day there. <laughs> um, but, you know, regardless of, uh, of, of everything else that we've talked about here, because, I mean, look, I, I totally, totally, totally understand uh, the, the struggles that you... That you I'm not going to say I completely understand all the struggles that you go through on a daily basis, just knowing what your, your childhood's like and so on. But I certainly understand the struggles of having to balance living without fear, uh, mm -hmm. given everything that you've gone through and not putting that on to your children who didn't ask to be in this world. And uh, that's, Correct. you know, if you've heard the opening part of the uh, the show here, just, mm -hmm. I mean, boy, that dynamic with kids is, uh, is something else there. And you, I, I really applaud the work that you're doing uh, and, and helping people to live fearlessly, and especially if they have to overcome uh, the unbelievable um, well obstacles and issues. Like you, I mean, you talk about walking the you know walking the talk there. I mean, you what you've had to overcome uh, is nothing short of uh, just unbelievable. So for you to do the work that you're doing, uh, given everything that you've had to endure in your life. I mean, I certainly, and I know Mary and Rich as well, I certainly applaud you on uh, on, on doing uh, what you're doing here and helping people to live fearlessly and even really helping yourself to live fearlessly. I mean, in Authorland, they say you write the book you most need. I mean, you're probably doing a lot of the teachings that uh, at this juncture mm -hmm. uh, that you need, uh, of course, for yourself as well. So let, let me just ask you this. If people want more information uh, about you, where, where's uh, where's the best place for them to get started? Thanks, Steve, and I certainly appreciate your kind words. I truly, truly do. Um, so people can reach me. My website is uh, livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. My uh, email address is lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. Um, I'm all over social media. My favorite social media outlet, of course, though, is LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I think there's a lot more like-minded people in the business world who are very passionate about what they do. So things convert over there, which I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of synergy over there, a lot of collaboration, partnership, a lot of uh, former radio guests who've been showcased. A lot of it has derived out of um, LinkedIn. But of course, I'm everywhere. Uh, two Facebook pages, one's business, one's personal. Personal is pretty much a 
you know, a repetition of the business page. And I've got Twitter, Instagram. Sure. Uh, most of my handles include fearless, living fearlessly with Lisa. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm there. Okay. And uh, I go I go live every Friday um, at 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 Central, 11 Eastern on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on my two global radio platforms slash podcast. Um, so, yeah, there's tons of ways in which people can connect with me. I would only be too grateful yeah. um, to connect. Awesome. All right. Well, Lisa, we definitely appreciate you joining us here on Reinvention Radio and definitely check out the work that Lisa is doing. Wade, you were kind of jumping out of your chair there, man. What uh, what did you want to add to that? Well, I, I know we've only got a minute, but you caught my attention with saying you know us well enough. You can recognize what we need and everything. So we'll talk about the Ferrari <laughs> after the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, it sounds like a plan. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, fear is, um, I, I think it's, it's it's tricky, right? Because there's 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 healthy fear, right? And, and the idea of living fearlessly, I mean, look, we're old enough now to have experienced certain things. And like she said, you know, she was working with this family and, you know, the kid died. It's like, you know, I don't know if she's talking about Bodie Miller or not, you know, the two-year-old drowned in the pool. I mean, it's just like, yeah. look, we we know certain things that you just shouldn't do. You just don't put your hand on the hot stove and we don't it's not being an overprotective parent to tell your kid not to put your hand on the fire you know it's just like yeah. that's just reality and okay so the kids got to learn it themselves but i don't know i i i have a tough time reconciling between the two of being that and this goes back to the opening of the conversation here of you know just being that parent who's too actively involved and too actively protective and and trying to get my kid to live fearlessly i don't know it's yeah, Richie, I mean, as you think about your little and what uh, what goes through your mind around that? Oh, man, you know how hard these kind of shows are for me sometimes. Like from the beginning, I just go into the inward and think about I just want to rip the face off a of grandpa over there. Yeah. But um, yeah, seriously. But um, I I think we learn the fear. It's really like I said in the beginning, we really just have fear of falling and fear of loud noises. The rest of the fears we learn over time. Kid doesn't like look at the spider and freak out but by the time they're five or six they're freaking out you know because they're watching mom freak out or dad freak out or whatever so we learn all those things but yeah. um oh man yeah i i and it's even interesting the past there was a bazillion things i wanted to say <laughs> but i feel like i just want to go home and hug trish and hug olivia because yeah. i think we're doing it right my kid knows what she likes. Yeah. She doesn't like to be told what to do. <laughs> like, and that's one of the reasons why the, she got the middle name she got. Yeah. I knew that'd be annoying along the way, but it turned out beautiful, but yep. all good. All right, my friends. Well, uh, find the balance, right, between living fearlessly and uh, and living into what it is that you were meant and made to do. And we will talk to you next time here on Reinvention Radio. You Take care. just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.